It's a word that doesn't show up on too many resumes. And it's a word that probably you don't hear in too many job interviews. It's a word that's probably not for hire most of the time. But it's our word for today. It's the word gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness isn't for hire, is it? Walk into an interview and tell your prospective employer when asked about your strengths that you're a gentle person. Okay, well, we'll get back to you. Right. I mean, when we're shopping for linebackers and lawyers and politicians and CEOs, we're, we're, we want bulldogs and sharks, and we might even settle for some vipers and vultures. But gentleness, eh, I don't know. It, gentleness isn't for hire. In fact, in my 37 years in ministry, I've never seen gentleness on a ministry resume. And yet, it shows up among the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Galatians Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and then we'll look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And you'll find that on page 975 of your church Bibles. As we have been journeying through these dimensions, these traits of the Holy Spirit's harvest and influence in our lives, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then Galatians 6, 1 through 3, Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is God's word. So there it is. Gentleness. Part of this, this nine-fold fruit of the Spirit. And it's fruit. It's singular. Harvest. Crop. That the Holy Spirit produces in our lives when we move from the kingdom of darkness by grace through faith in Jesus into the kingdom of light. 
Jesus said in John 16, 7, the night before he was crucified, if I go, I will send the helper to you. It is to your advantage that I go. If I do not go, he will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And the him is his Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened. After Christ's crucifixion for our sins and his bodily resurrection, which over the next 40 days he showed himself in body, not a vision, not a dream, but in his resurrection body for 40 days, evidencing himself. He then stepped into the heavenly realm in his ascension. And on day 50, he sent his Holy Spirit upon his church. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to consider these words from Isaiah chapter 32, verses 15 to 18. Because these verses describe Pentecost in just, uh, just a beautiful way. Isaiah says, when the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness, that is fruit, that is outcome, that is crop, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and security forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Man, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And, and, and we are the demonstration. We are the evidence. You just heard evidence in Leroy's faith story of what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out from on high. When the Holy Spirit is poured out from on high, wilderness becomes this flourishing, fruitful orchard, vineyard, field. And this fruitful field is just seemed a forest that, that you can feed from and find refuge in and shelter. And the result is peace and security forever. That's the effect of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts and on our lives. We live in the age of the Spirit. And, and see, what that means is this. If it, if it were not for the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit's coming in and of our lives, we would be nothing more than just referral agents pointing people to the experts. But you understand, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he gives us competencies. He gives us traits. 
He gives us characteristics. He gives us fruit. He gives us that enables ordinary people like bill collectors to be the very, to, to be not ordinary, but to be extraordinary in Christ. That's the work of God. That's the promise of God. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so I want you to see here that, that the Holy Spirit, when he gives us his dimensions, we begin to look like Jesus. And part of that, part of that includes this, this trait called gentleness. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's just not my personality. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about a personality trait. Well, that's just not my ability. No, 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 no. We're not talking about abilities. Gentleness is not a gift for the few. It's fruit for all. And I like how one author put it. Gentleness is to become what we were meant to be. Gentleness is to return to who we once were in Eden. See, in Eden. So, let's learn about gentleness this morning, okay? This, this beautiful dimension of the Spirit's fruit. Well, one way we could tackle this is to talk about by what gentleness is not. All right? So, let's just, let's just get that out on the table. Gentleness is not spinelessness. Gentleness is not passiveness. Gentleness is not non-assertiveness. Or gentleness is not avoiding that difficult conversation. Gentleness is not fragilization. Fragilization. Uh, fragilization. What's that? Well, have you ever had... You ever felt like you had to walk on eggshells around someone being overly concerned about how bad they would feel if you gave them constructive criticism as their leader? See? That's fragilization. And, it, and, and it's not a follower problem, it's a leader problem. See? See? Fragil, fragilizing is a tendency of the leader to neglect sharing important truths about, about performance, about attitudes, about behavioral issues for fear that that person is too brittle to handle it. And as a result, problems don't get solved and, and then that person has done no favors and the team suffers. And then the, actually that person grows more defensive uh, or in denial or entitled. Fragilization is a common leadership issue. And it's often mistaken for gentleness. But it's, it's not gentleness. It's not. That, those things are not gentleness. Gentleness is this. Gentleness is how you treat fine china. Gentleness is how you treat expensive crystal glass. Gentleness is how the archivists treat that original handwritten copy of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. That's, that's, in other words, gentleness is a way of dealing with something valuable. It, it means treating someone in such a way that he or she does not get damaged in the process of handling. 
Gentleness treats people as they are in the image of God, priceless and breakable. And so gentleness is not the absence of power. It is the stewardship of strength. It is a way of exercising power. So the logic of gentleness implies that without it, power can do damage. So gentleness asks the question, how can I use the strength God has given? Because gentleness is strength acting in humility. Gentleness is a wild stallion who has been tamed and whose reins rest in the hands of the king. Gentleness is dignified wildness. It's tamed strength. And something else. Gentleness shows up at a wedding ceremony when the six-foot-six-inch groom who used to be an offensive lineman in college standing there now at the altar with his barely five-foot-tall bride. And after his marital vows in which he says, till death do us part, he adds these unscripted words. He looks at her and he says, and I promise I will always treat you gently. Gentleness. And though I've never seen it in any contemporary ministry resume, it's in Timothy's job description that Paul gives him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 and 26, when he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. <laughs> gentleness. And, and here's, here's the logic that Paul gives Timothy. He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So, so think about this. Timothy is to confront those who are doctrinally derailed, but Paul says, you know, no beheadings. I want you to be gentle in how you correct those who have gone doctrinally, you know, off-road. I want you to, to correct them in a spirit of gentleness because, you know, God even wants those who are in error doctrinally to return to him. That God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You see how merciful that is, that perspective? And that's why Paul tells Timothy that that's the way he needs to deal with those who are teaching a different doctrine where Timothy is. So, so as a display of the Spirit's fruit, let's be clear. Gentleness is not for you. It's not for you. God, God's Spirit does not give gentleness for you. He gives it through you for others. Others need to be the beneficiary of this Spirit's fruit. So, 
Let me give you the definition here. It's our big idea today. If you forget everything else, not this. Ready? Here we go. Gentleness. Spirit-supplied strength, tenderly applied for others. That's what gentleness is. Spirit-supplied strength, tenderly applied for others. So, so gentleness is quiet confidence in God's strength to change what needs to be changed. So gentleness knows that if we could change others by the volume of our voice, the power of our rhetoric, the force of our personality, or the rank on our shoulders, then Jesus would not have needed to come and die. Would others describe you as gentle? Uh, he's been called the greatest mind America has ever produced. He's been called America's greatest theologian. Jonathan Edwards lived in the early 1800s, uh, 18th century, rather, early 1700s. This is what, this is what America's greatest mind wrote in his diary. He said, a virtue which I need in a higher degree to give a beauty and luster to my behavior is gentleness. If I had more of an air of gentleness, I should be much mended. Hmm. And I read that and I thought, wow. If, if, if Jonathan Edwards needs that, I suppose I do too. See. Would others describe you as gentle? When a contractor shows up at a property site with a wrecking ball, you know that they're not interested in restoring that old house. Christians are still broken people. And God has elected broken people to walk alongside other broken people, and restore each other in the process of, of walking together. So, if you hang around this congregation long enough, you will be sinned against, and you will sin against others. You, you will walk with Christians in ministry who have moral deficiencies. You will. You will live with family members who love Jesus and yet still fail to live according to Scripture. And you will too. So when this happens, not if this happens, but when this happens, how will we respond? Will we respond with a wrecking ball sense of condemnation? Will we try to knock one another down and destroy their character? Or will we use the small tools of restoration and slowly, painfully, and gracefully restore others. Gentleness does. Do you see why now it needs to be given by the Holy Spirit? Because it doesn't become. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. What's natural to me is I. I there's a part of me I want to be a viper. I want to be a bulldog. I want to show my dominance over others. I want to do that. Why? Because I just do. That's what comes naturally. And Christ sent his Holy Spirit to take my wrecking ball heart 
and transform it into a heart that seeks to restore others. See? And that's what he's done to your hearts too in Christ. It's just a part of his grace. That, that our wrecking ball hearts might become builders of what Isaiah say? Quiet resting places. Quiet resting places. Well, that's what gentleness is. And that gets us to why it's so important. Why it's so important. And that's why we read Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Take a look at that again. Paul says, brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now think about this for a minute. So Paul wrote the book of Galatians to house churches that had drifted from the true gospel to what he calls a different gospel. In Galatians 1, these false teachers were infiltrating the house communities with a Jesus plus message, a different gospel. And the gospel you believe will determine the disciple you become. And you can see in Galatians 5, 19 and 20 and 21, what that different gospel is producing. Paul calls this different gospel the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. And by flesh, he means a, a system or a way of life that is diametrically opposed to the will of God, to the heart of God. Works of the flesh, plural, versus fruit, singular, unified, of the Spirit. And it, it's a contest between two irreconcilable realms. And here's the deal. And be encouraged by this. The Spirit will win. This, the Spirit's going to win. You know that, don't you? I mean, Jesus is risen. He is the sole emperor of the universe. Whether or not people acknowledge it now... We acknowledge it here in this worship, and we acknowledge it in the quality of our speech and our lives when we are apart from one another. But make no mistake, make no mistake whatsoever. Jesus has, Jesus has won. That's why I love Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. It's, it's really the summary of the entire book of Revelation. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and earth, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Here it is, because he knows his time is short. So whatever we're seeing in our world today, Jesus has won. And, and, and uh, Satan, Satan's deceived about a lot of things, but he's not deceived about the fact that he knows his time is short. And our nation is under the influence of the flesh, the works of the flesh. I mean, you look at the list in Galatians 5, 19 and 20 and 21, and you see if this list doesn't describe our culture. Bitterly divided, angry, jealous, fits of rage, sexual immorality, no courtesy. Here's the deal. Paul envisions a day 
when those who bought into the works of the flesh will find themselves exhausted and worn out and unfulfilled and flat miserable. They've made an idol out of money, stuff, sexuality, political affiliation. They bowed to idols that always take and never give. And so when they crash and burn, when they crash, how will we respond? Well, when someone comes into our church community who is just exhausted from, from a, a fruitless journey through pornography or alcoholism or every kind of sexual deviancy or, or legalism, how will we respond? Can, can this be a safe place to bring your brokenness? When people come with their vulnerability, what will we do? When they say to us, if you only knew what I did, if you only knew who I was, if you only knew who I hurt, what I said. Paul says, if anyone is caught in any, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore. That's a medical term. It means to set a bone. Do you know how to set a bone? Gently. Gently, in a spirit of gentleness. And then Paul says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Law of Christ, what's that? that that's Paul's way of saying, love one another. The law of Christ is love. Love God, love one another. And look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Why does Paul say that? Paul says that Paul means it's only by the grace of God that I've not fallen into the same sin. That there's, please, understand, please believe me when I say this. There's not one sin I'm incapable of committing. And, and it... <laughs> If you need a pastor who you can't say that, then you haven't found an honest pastor. But I'm speaking truth to you. It's by God's grace and by God's protection and by God's mercy and by God's gentleness that I've been spared from disaster too. Verse 3 means that could be me. That could be me. And, and for those whose past it has been so, know this. God is gentle. He's gentle. Gentleness is how God treats us. That's why Psalm 18, 35 says, your, your gentleness made me great. Your gentleness made me great. Uh, here's how one version puts it. You stooped down to make me great. That's what gentleness does. Gentleness drops on its knees, stoops down, and lifts others up. Gentleness. Spirit-supplied strength. Tenderly applied for others in love. Very soon, very soon after we dismiss... A family member is going to come home. 
and they are going to have had a bad day. And that bad day, that bad day happened because they were, they were either caught in a sin or they were caught up by someone else's sin and they're going to bring that, they're going to bring that home to you and, and you're going to be there and they're going to get what they had on you. If your family member is frustrated from work, there's a good possibility that frustration is going to follow them home and then it's going to get all over you. Very soon, you're going to be a situation where you are going to see sin and weakness in the life of someone you care about. When that happens, if you do not have gentleness, if you do not, if you do not live out the reality of the Holy Spirit's gentleness in and through your life, in that moment when that person brings what splashed sin all over them to you, that in that moment, that moment which has been given to you as a moment of ministry, you're going to turn that without gentleness, you're going to turn that moment of ministry into a moment of anger. And it's going to cause you to personalize what was never intended to be personal. And when you personalize what is not intended to be personal, then you're going to be adversarial in how you respond. And then when that happens, what motivates you is not the spiritual need in the life of the one you love that God has revealed to you so that you can minister to that person. Instead, what's going to happen is that, that your beloved offense is going to be against you and your schedule and your peace. And, and so your response is not going to be for him or for her, but it's going to be against him or against her. So rather than wanting to minister to that person in their need, actually what you really want to do is to kind of get that person out of your way so you can go back to whatever it is you were doing. And, and when we turn a moment of ministry into a moment of anger by personalizing what was never intended to be personal and then become adversarial in our response, we then settle for quick solutions that don't get to the heart of the matter. And so rather than searching for ways to help, you know, we say things like, well, get a grip. Or we threaten them with silence. Or we get angry. And the moment of weakness becomes a huge moment of confrontation. Gentleness, though, when it dominates our hearts and our lives, just changes the whole setting. It, it turns a moment of ministry into a sacred moment because gentleness is a needy heart that comes alongside another needy heart to share the heart of Christ. So gentleness asks, what can I do today to help? What can I do today to help you? And, and maybe then be specific. Can I, can I, would you like me to watch the kids? Do you need a ride to your treatment? Do you have plans for dinner? Do you, do you just need to be alone? Do you just need to be alone? See? And then you just wait. And then 
you know, if the person accepts, then God be praised. If the person declines, then okay, all right, but then offer to pray. Let me pray. Let me pray. And some of you are thinking, you know, if I did this, if I did that, if I took that tact at work, or if I did that in my, if I did that, I'd get crucified. And the answer is yes, you would. Because that's what Paul is trying to tell us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, so in other words, before they crucify you, you crucify yourself. Before they knock you down, you kneel down. You stoop. You stoop because of the one who stooped for you. Psalm 18.35, you stoop down to make me great. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. One more verse and then I'm done. Here it is. Matthew 5.5, 5, the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. The word for meek, same word as Paul uses for gentleness. See, gentleness. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And why is gentleness blessed? Why? Here it is. Because the gentle have stopped expecting the world to give what God has already promised gentleness spirit supplied strength tenderly applied for others in love let's pray